congratulations. You may now turn your tassels. You're listening. To- You're listening to the. Oh, if we say it at the same time. No, we can't do that. No, That's no, not we can- You're listening to the Day After Graduation podcast from Longwood University. Welcome back to the Day After Graduation podcast. I'm Paige Rollins. I'm Ryan Catherwood. On today's episode, Resilience, we have two acts with two truly inspiring stories. Individuals, Longwood alumni that started out on a path in life and had an event take place that truly altered their lives. Both of these Longwood alumni featured in today's episode turned their very tragic personal experiences into an opportunity to make the world a better place. And we're excited to bring these stories of hope and inspiration. Now for act one, starting down a road. Our first guest is Katie Punham, class of 2011, who has now fully dedicated herself towards a new mission she had no idea she'd be doing the day after her graduation. It all started with the birth of her daughter, Audrey. Audrey was definitely a surprise. Um, We pretty much got pregnant on our wedding night. (laughs) Um, Not intended, but it was a beautiful surprise. (laughs) So Audrey was born January 2016, and she, you know, that first couple years were great. She hit every milestone as expected. She was happy, a great sleeper, and my pregnancy for the most part was rather smooth. I was sick for a lot of it, but that's not super uncommon. It was her two-year checkup, and we had had concerns because she wasn't saying like mama and dada, she didn't have a lot of words. We saw her lose words. And then she wasn't looking us in the eye, wasn't really responding to her name. So I brought those concerns up to my pediatrician who then kind of has us fill out like a survey in a sense. And based on how I answered those questions, she recommended that we start early intervention through our county as well as see a developmental pediatrician. So we immediately made those calls. You know, from friends and family, everybody was like, she's going to talk, like she's doing it on her own time. She's going to talk. But, and so I had that hope, but my gut was telling me something was up. Like I knew things weren't going exactly how they should be. So then hearing that, it definitely hurt. Like it was like just getting that news, like, Something could be going on, something more than what we know, so we need to figure it out is just hard, especially when we've had a very healthy daughter up until that point. So we made, you know, our appointments, and because she is so young, it was about six months till we got in with the developmental pediatrician, and but we started early intervention through Hanover County, like, immediately. Unfortunately, doctors were able to determine after some time that Audrey had autism. As you can imagine, this was quite difficult for any parent to handle and has created some unique challenges they've had to figure out. Audrey not being able to talk is hard. We don't, like at Christmas time, you want to be like, what do you want for Christmas? What are, what do you want to go see? What do you want to do? And I'm sure she has tons of things that she wants to say, but she doesn't know how. And accepting that things that come so naturally and easily for everybody in our family is not everybody, but for Dan and I, it's hard to watch your daughter struggle in that sense. Like you 
those are just expectations that you go into being a parent with being like, my daughter and I are going to have these fantastic conversations or we're going to laugh at these silly things that she's saying when she's a toddler. And, but we found joy in other things. We have seen that you do not need a voice to let people know how much you love them. And you do not need a voice to get your point across. Uh, we almost always know what Audrey wants and we know that she loves us very much. May 2018, she was like officially diagnosed and it was probably after we got her settled with all of her, you know, steps that the doctor told us to make, like get her enrolled in ABA and get her into a school so she can start socializing, things like that. I think it was after she, I felt like she was in good places that I finally like breathed from it all. and. I am lucky I have a really good family. Um, I definitely looked to not just my own family, but my husband's family and some close friends, but it was, it was really hard to talk about with other moms. It was really hard to talk about with strangers. Like I, I work at a part, part time and I don't think I told people from at work for like six or seven months because I just, I didn't know how to say it without crying for probably the first six months. So the first time I think I said, Audrey has autism without crying, I looked at somebody and said, I didn't cry. <laughs> I didn't tear up. And so I think it took me a while. Katie was introduced to a program for kids with autism brought together parents and kids together in a fun, safe environment with activities that catered exactly to Audrey. Audrey loved it, and Katie found a lot of support as well. So about a year ago, I started following their page and just started seeing a lot of the programs that Eliza Hope was doing. And I was like, oh, that would be fantastic. I would love to take Audrey to that. She would love something like that. I think it's important to connect with other parents who have special needs kids because while parenting overall is challenging and hard, there are added layers when you have a special needs kid. There are added fears and added question marks, I guess you would say. Um, and another mom who's going through the same thing for the same reason why typical moms want to be friends, you can ask, is your kid doing this? Has this worked for you? What didn't work for you? Did you like this therapist? What events are you going to this weekend? Like, or what, what has worked at your house? I can't remember when Audrey was like the first two years I asked every mom, like, are you, what are you feeding? <laughs> like, what are you guys eating now? <laughs> are you guys onto hard foods? You know, just those little things you want to be able to talk about. And as much as my friends who are moms try to understand that, I even know that when I say things to them that I do worry about, they're like, that's really hard. Like, do you have somebody that gets that? You know what I mean? Like they're even like, do you know anybody that also understands what you're going through? Cause they can't fully get it. But there was no center in Richmond, Virginia, where Katie and their family live. So Katie almost unknowingly started down a road of bringing the Eliza Hope Foundation to Richmond. I just ended up Instagramming and Instagram messaging Amy, the founder of Eliza Hope Foundation. So and I didn't even Instagram her on her personal page. Like it was through the Eliza Hope <laughs> Instagram page that I was just like, hey, 
I admire what you're doing. I can see the spinning in Richmond. Have you ever considered expanding? Like, and even if you're not, like, I'd love to know how you started this. Like, would you be up to talking? And she immediately jumped in and was like, yeah, like, let's meet, Let, let's do this. And I thought, like, on the way down there, I was just going to talk to her, to learn about her story, learn about what she was doing. But then, so this was two weeks after I sent her the message. I went down there and I walked into the center, me, Audrey, and my husband, and we all, I think, felt like a natural calming presence like we were like whoa like this is fantastic audrey immediately like got down and played which is like huge amy was like showing me around and you know we're talking sharing stories about our daughters as well as the challenges that we've gone through and she i mean we cried we laughed we we did it all in this like two hour time and she just looked over at me and was like we're gonna do this like and that's just how Amy is. Like, she's just so sure of her gut and she should be. <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, we are like, this is going to happen. Like, and since that day, it's just been, it's been crazy. She didn't have any experience starting a nonprofit and Katie didn't have any fundraising experience either, but she dived in anyways. Here's the deal. She believes in what she's doing. And in both of our stories today, we're hearing from guests along with alumni that are determined to make a potential negative into a positive and help lots of people. Her meeting with Amy just happened in the summer of 2019. So she's just getting started on the journey of creating an amazing space for families in Richmond. We are starting to look at buildings in kind of the Innsbruck area of Richmond. And then we are starting to contact providers to come work out of our building. And we have some commitment from a speech therapy. We're working on the others, but we feel confident that between our connections in Virginia Beach and here that we'll be able to find people. The building stuff has been fun, but it, it's stressful, the money, like the thinking about how much rent will be and then making sure we're, we're in the right location. The challenge will be filling it with as many goodies as we can, as many therapists as we can, you know, making sure we are being full service. Like we're hoping to expand by offering like a mental therapist come in so maybe they can help with the diagnosis. So like parents, when they're starting from the very beginning, they have just one spot and everybody will be able to help them. Almost everybody we talk to are really excited and like moms that you talk to that have kids that are older, they're like, we prayed for something like this or, you know, that's exactly what we wanted, we were looking for. So we definitely feel like we're on the right track. Like we're definitely going to be able to meet people's needs. I mean, I had a mom who has twins with autism reach out to me just like looking for any help. Like. I mean, I don't even know how she afforded what she afforded up until this point. We are hoping to sign our lease in March, April and open middle of summer, early fall. I just keep saying 2020, <laughs> but we are crossing our fingers for August, September. We're looking forward to Katie opening her facility and wish only the best for her on this exciting journey. 
And now for act two of the show, Cowgirl Calling. We find Candace Parsley, class of 2012. I'm a math teacher and a girls varsity basketball assistant coach at New Kent High School. But my main thing in high school was competing in rodeos. It's a family affair for us. My my mom, my dad, my brother, my aunts, my uncles, cousins, grandparents, we've all competed in rodeo. And so that's really kind of a way of life for us. I've always known that I wanted to be a teacher on the other side of my family that's not into rodeo. My grandparents are both education professionals. My grandpa is a retired elementary school principal from Chesterfield County, and my grandma served as a school social worker. So the importance of education was instilled in me early on, and teaching is something that I always knew that I would do, and Longwood is the best in the business when it comes to education. So that's really what drew me there. My older cousin, who was kind of like a sister to me, also went to Longwood. So having the family connection was also really important. Candace enrolled in the teaching program here at Longwood and soon found her calling as a math teacher after some guidance from our faculty. She loved it and was excited to get into schools after her senior year. First semester was supposed to be my last semester of classes. Second semester would have been my student teaching. Long about October, I started feeling sick a lot. Just kind of the common cold symptoms very fatigued, not really wanting to do anything. But as I said before, I was really involved on campus. It was my last semester of classes, so they were pretty strenuous. And I was still competing in rodeos. So I was pushing myself to the limit and kind of just assumed that I had reached the point of exhaustion. I went to a couple of doctors a couple of different times. They tested me for mono. One doctor thought I had a thyroid issue. Another doctor thought that I was having an allergic reaction to something. And all of these doctor visits went on for about a month. Finally, in November, the weekend before Thanksgiving, I went home to go compete in a rodeo down in North Carolina. And my face and my upper body were extremely swollen. But again, I had gotten the diagnosis from the doctor of an allergic reaction. So I took my Benadryl and my steroids and I went down to North Carolina and competed in the rodeo. But I was so swollen, my my face, my neck, my upper body, I was so swollen that people that have known me since I was a baby walked right by me and didn't even recognize me. And that's kind of when I knew something was really wrong. So when we got home from that weekend, that Monday morning, my mom decided to take me back to the doctor. They decided to go ahead and send me to an endocrinologist to rule out a thyroid issue. And when we went to see the endocrinologist, they uh, they did an ultrasound of my neck and she immediately suspected that I had some kind of blockage. So she ordered an emergency CT scan and I was admitted through the emergency room and I had to wait several hours for results. But then they came in and they told me that I had a softball sized mass in my chest and that I would be admitted to ICU because I should not be breathing on my own based on the way the mass was situated on my lungs. A few days followed with more tests, biopsies, all that kind of stuff. 
And by Wednesday, I was diagnosed with B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage three. And the doctor told me that I would need to start treatment immediately. And it was going to be intense treatment because we didn't have time to waste. So I started treatment the day after Thanksgiving. Honestly, I originally, when I was diagnosed, the doctor didn't use the word cancer. And so that didn't really, that wasn't really the first thing that popped into my head. It wasn't, oh my gosh, I have cancer. It was, I have this sickness or, you know, infection. I, I just kind of processed it as just a temporary thing. I, I've competed in rodeos and played basketball and danced my whole life. So I've had my fair share of hospital visits and injuries. So I'm I'm kind of used to the process of a doctor saying, this is what's broken and this is how we're gonna fix it. So that's kind of how I internalized it originally. And I don't know if it was habit or shock or just the way my mind decided to process it to kind of protect me from the fear. After a couple of days, I kind of it kind of sunk in. It was like, okay, I have cancer. This could kill me. But I was raised in a, a very faithful family. We, we always went to church together. We put our faith in the Lord. And so that's just kind of, the, that's what I went to more so out of habit than anything. And that got me through a lot of it. I've always been a very optimistic person. And so almost immediately... I told everyone, I said, there's going to be no crying in my hospital room. If you need to cry, then leave. Come back later when you get yourself together. And there were times where I kicked my own mom out of my hospital room because she couldn't handle it. The original plan was to have six chemo treatments that were spaced three weeks apart, followed by any necessary radiation. After three chemo treatments, they did a scan and the mass had gone from the size of a softball to the size of a golf ball. So they were really pleased with that progress and decided that radiation would be less harmful to the rest of my body and could still attack the mass. So at that point, we decided to forego the last three chemo treatments and go ahead and switch to radiation. So I had that for 20 days. And I finished my treatment on March 14th, 2012, which I always think is fun to share because I'm a math teacher and that's Pi Day, 314. So that's, it was six months. <laughs> yeah. Not only did Candace beat cancer, but she took that experience and turned it around for the better. Finding a way to combine her love of rodeo and her experience going through cancer. The first year we had the event was in 2016, and we held it at a friend's house in New Kent that has an arena that, you know, would hold the competition. Um, and it was just a single one-day afternoon event. This year is year five, and we have planned a three-day event, and we hold it now at Meadow Event Park, which is where the State Fair is held because we need that much space and we like to have the covered arena for the event so that weather isn't a factor. So it's really, it has taken off. We never 
imagined it would get this big. So far, we've raised just over $50,000 in the last five years, and we've been able to donate all of that to the Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation and the Virginia chapter of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So we've worked really hard to to raise that money and to be able to give it right back to our own community and keep it local within the state so that we can help the people around us. Cowgirls for a Cure was born and totally surprised Candace and her friends at the success of such a simple idea that they started with. The first year, we really surprised ourselves, actually. We raised, it was really close to $10,000 somewhere between eight and $10,000. I I can't remember the exact number, but going into it, we kind of, we were thinking we'd raise three to $5,000. So we doubled our expectation and that's when we kind of realized, okay, we, this isn't just a a simple fundraiser that we're going to put on. This can really turn into something big. And so that's when we decided to actually make an organization out of our cause So we developed the nonprofit organization and went through all of that paperwork. And now Cowgirls for a Cure is officially a nonprofit organization. And we're able to kind of expand on our rodeo event to have different things and to hold different fundraisers to be able to to expand our reach. We started off that first year only donating to Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation. And we did that for the first two years. And then through a connection of a friend of a friend, we got hooked up with the Light the Night campaign with the Virginia chapter of the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. So we decided to add them as a beneficiary to our funds and we've donated to them as well in addition to Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation the last two years. And we'll do that again this year. And so our goal is to, as we continue to grow, is to be able to add more and more organizations to, you know, hopefully be able to support all types of cancer. And that's just kind of where we're starting. When we first started brainstorming, we were like, it doesn't just have to be cancer. It it could be Alzheimer's. It could be diabetes. It could be child abuse, whatever, you know, whatever the need is in the community, we want to be able to have the ability to expand our organization to help that. And so that's why we kind of left the name as just Cowgirls for a Cure. A Cure for what? that we don't necessarily have an answer to. We and we don't want to give an answer to that because we want to be able to to cure or support as many causes as we can. This year to honor our survivors and to remember the people that we're riding in memory of, we're having what we're calling a parade of colors. So we're encouraging people to dress up and dress their horses up as well and whatever color represents the type of cancer that has affected them or affected someone that's closely related to them and we're going to just kind of have a a parade around the arena with all those different colors and representations of the different types of cancer and then also be able to recognize any survivors that we have that are competing or are just attending the event so that's something that's new this year that we haven't done before that I hope it turns out as good as I'm envisioning it to. It's really been a humbling experience. Like I said, when we started this, we really just thought it was going to be some backyard fundraiser that we would be able to do for a couple of years until it kind of fizzled out. 
And um, here we are in year five and we're continuing to get opportunities to grow and expand. And just being able to, to start an organization like this, it really just solidifies the fact that there is purpose in your struggles. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I didn't look at it as a, this is the end or this is, you know, terrible. I mean, there were days, yeah, there were days when I had my own pity party and I was upset because I, I couldn't go to pass downs with ambassadors. I didn't get to graduate with my class and all those kinds of things. But the experience that I gained from going through this and the opportunities that it laid in front of me that otherwise I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't take any of that back. You know, I, I teach high school, so I, I'm close with a lot of seniors. And, you know, something like this is, yeah, it it seems like it may be the end of your world right now and, and things aren't going according to your plan, but it's not your plan. It's God's plan. And I can promise you that whatever the struggle is that you're going through, you're going to come out on the other side better because of it and with new opportunities because of it. And so like I told the seniors at New Kent High School, you know, feel sorry for yourself for a few minutes, but then look for the silver lining. Look for the experiences that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise and how can they propel you forward and allow you to be a better person and to make your community a better place to be in because of it. If you want to support either the Eliza Hope Foundation or Cowgirls for a Cure, those links are in the show notes for today's episode. Thanks so much to our guests, Candace Parsley and Katie Punham, for doing such great work and for sharing their stories with Day After Graduation. That wraps up this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our feed through Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our podcast is produced by Cordy Walker, Ryan Catherwood, me, Paige Rollins, Megan Wilson, and the Office of Alumni and Career Services at Longwood University. If you have a story you think would be great for the podcast, please let us know about it. Email us at career at longwood.edu. See you next time for another edition of the Day After Graduation podcast. 